Hi, my name is Ruben Porter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, and it's great to have you on our podcast today. We hope this message encourages you, builds you up in your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. You know, it, it's been it's been really good to work through this series um, and, and better now, right? You've enjoyed it? It's been good. For those who are visiting and, and you're new, um, we're working through a series called Better Now, which is gospel-impacted relationships. Um, and if we haven't met before, my name is Ruben. I'm the lead pastor here and one of the elders, and it's, it's a real privilege to be able to bring God's Word today. Uh, and tonight's message is on intimate relationships. So if you have a, a child with you this evening, um, you're welcome to stick around, of course, um, but we are actually going to have an adult conversation um, around some stuff that we see in Scripture that's helpful for us when we're looking at our relationships. Um, so if you're not, don't feel comfortable with that, then we would ask that maybe there's a space for you out here. There's air hockey tables set up. There's pool tables for the kids if they need to go to. Um, but if you are ready for those conversations, uh, you're so welcome to stay. And um, we're, we're going to be praying for you, praying for you and those conversations. And whenever I'm ready to have those conversations with my kids, I'll be calling you and t- asking you, how did it all go? How did it go? So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you open them uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is the passage that we're going to be looking at tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And in, in Corinthians 7, it's packed full of biblical and, and practical wisdom, and it addresses a variety of different issues, a variety of different people uh, at different stages of life. Um, but for this evening's sake, we're going to be looking at the first 17 verses. Um, so I want us to read those together, and, and we'll work through the passage, and um, we will we'll start at verse verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, um, it will be on the screen. Otherwise, you can follow along with me in your, in, your, in your Bibles. Now, for the matters that you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And then come back together so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should, not, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. 
But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. So if you're taking notes this evening, um, I encourage you to, to write these down. We've got three points for this evening. And the first one is this. Sex is for marriage. Sex is for marriage. Straight into it, eh? You see, sometimes when we, we mention the word sex, um, people get a bit awkward. Um, I don't. I don't at all. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. I hope you are too. Yeah? <laughs> About one person's excited for this conversation. Fantastic. You see, in one sense, I think like it's a, it's a topic that's in Scripture. We've just read that through. Um, and in one sense, the church has failed to bring this conversation up more. I, you know, I had a good conversation after this morning's service. Very different congregation, of course. Uh, and, and, and one person came up to me and he said, oh, I want to say something to you. I've been in the church a lot longer than you have. Uh, and there were an, an older gentleman. And he said to me, we've been um, poorer for it not hearing topics like this spoken about. So I hope you're excited for the, the journey we're on tonight. And um, I hope you don't get too awkward. But you see, God has given this amazing gift of sexual intimacy that we've seen in this passage, that it is something between a man and a woman within the bonds of marriage, and it's something to be celebrated. The fact that, that our culture suggests completely different, right? Our culture today's version of that is so far removed from the original truth of what sex was intended for. And we see that in, in a lot of the things that we've looked at in the last few weeks, that it, what Isaac spoke about a few weeks back, a lot has removed itself very far from what God originally intended. So the first time I spoke in this series was week one. I got to preach on God's love for us, got to mention love a lot. It was a, it was a good time. The second sermon I preached, we spoke on the Holy Spirit and how much the Spirit moves in our lives, and we talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. Uh, well, this week, we're, we're going to talk about sex. And it's going to be mentioned a lot, so stay with me and stay focused, all right? My aim today is to have a conversation like I had with our youth group uh, last year, and it was a conversation around the dangers of dating, uh, and someone from the youth said to me after, oh, well, that was like having a conversation with my dad. It, was, it, was, it wasn't awkward, though. Isn't that good feedback? I, I thought that was quite good. So I'm aiming for that tonight. I'm, I'm hoping it won't be awkward, but... These things are important, and I want to share some truth, what we see in God's Word. So let's set the scene of what we've just read. So 1 Corinthians. I think it's important that you understand the context uh, in which this letter is written to this church in Corinth. So in, uh, in Corinth at the time, it was a very sex-crazed culture. They had lots um, going on, and there was a temple right in the middle of Corinth, um, which was dedicated to the goddess of sex, um, Aphrodite, uh, and, and in, that, in that temple, they had about a thousand prostitutes that were, the purpose of them being there was to help you worship, okay? Uh, in, in, in the city at that time in Corinth, there was about 30,000 people, so if we have a thousand prostitutes, but one in 30 people that you would meet would be the prostitute from the, tent, the, from the temple. 
So there was lots of sexual perversion that was going on in this city. And in fact, uh, sexual intimacy was something that was just uh, part of their culture, and it was very common, just very casual, very casual. So if you picture this, husbands would say to their wives, Honey, me and the boys, we're off to the temple. We're going to worship tonight. We're going to have sex with some of the prostitutes, but we won't be home late. That's, that's sort of how the conversation went, and it was just so casual, and this, this just didn't seem like a big deal to them. And but yet Paul was looking at this, this city and at, at this church, and he was thinking, what has gone wrong? What has gone wrong? And if we look at New Zealand today, unfortunately, there's quite similar patterns. Um, I was doing some research for this sermon, and the average age for someone to lose their virginity in New Zealand um, for a male at 17 and for a female at 16. Do you want to know what the average age of marriage is in New Zealand? 30. 30. So it doesn't quite add up, does it? So in one sense, today's society of having sex outside of marriage is just very common, very casual. And of course, you don't go to the temple these days to do that. You just head off to a party or a club and you take someone home. But from today's passage and what we've read, right at the very beginning, we see that sex is for marriage. It's for marriage. You see, within us, we have this tendency that we have this desire for intimacy with someone. There's this desire for this intimate connection with someone, with love, um, the, the idea that there's a, there's a vulnerability that comes with being intimate with someone. There's a feeling that comes with intimacy that has a great temptation that drags us into it. And that temptation, unfortunately, and what we've seen in today's passage, can lead us into a situation where there's sexual immorality. So Paul says this, since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise his wife to her husband. So here we see that, that in, in Scripture that Paul is writing to this church is that we should have one husband, one wife, and within the confines of that relationship, within the bonds and the commitments of that relationship, is a place for allowing people to be intimate. The privileges that come with being married. Paul couldn't be any more clear that sex is for marriage. And it's designed to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. So here's what that implies for us. That sex is not meant to be enjoyed outside of the context of one woman, one man marriage. So if we understand that, that sex is for marriage, what we have to say then is sex outside of marriage is sinful. It's sinful. Listen, the Bible isn't always black and white on certain topics, but when it comes to this sex outside of marriage, it couldn't be any clearer for us. And we know that's an unpopular opinion. We know that our world suggests completely different. And it might even be an unpopular opinion in this room this evening. And I know for some of us, we try to make these excuses Oh, but we love each other. We, we fully intend to be married one day. Um, we're going to be committed to one another. And, and you know, I've heard it before time and time again, but the Bible is clear. Hebrews 13 verse 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Let me repeat it again. Sex outside of marriage is sinful. But here's the other thing that I need you to know about sex outside of marriage. It's also selfish. Sex outside of marriage is selfish. Listen to me. Those who are single, who are dating, you're engaged, if you're having sex with somebody outside of your 
husband or your wife. It, it is sin, and this is what we've read in the Scripture tonight. No question. And if you're doing other things to try to justify that, to say, well, we're not going all the way, it's still sin. It's still sin. It's, it's not okay because he or she says that they love you even. Because in my opinion, that's not love. Because if we're truly to love someone in a Christ-like attitude, anything that I do to that person should in fact bring them closer to Jesus, not further away. It should bring them closer to Jesus, not further away. And if what we see in Scripture tonight says that sex outside of marriage is sin, well, therefore, sex outside of marriage will take us further away from God than closer to Him. Our heart's desire should be for our friendships, for our relationships, and for our, our, in our dating relationships to be bringing each other closer to Christ. You see, at the core of who we are, we have this selfish innate um, being inside of us that has a sin at the core of who we are. We have these selfish desires, these selfish tendencies to get that quick fix. But sex outside of marriage is not about love. It's, it's quite selfish. So if you're dating, if you're single, or if you're engaged, I need you to hear me to say this again. Sex outside of context of one man and one woman marriage is sinful and selfish. No matter what the society says, no matter what culture tells you, no matter what anyone else tells you, and here's what I want you to know. If that is you this evening and you're part of one of those relationships, I want to encourage you to stop. I want to encourage you to stop. And I want you to know this, that there is forgiveness and grace and mercy that is offered to you by a holy God. You see, there's lots of other implications for sex before marriage. And I'll take you a bit into high school education here. Sex before marriage can lead to unplanned pregnancies. It can lead to sexually transmitted infections. It can increase the risk of identity issues, depression, and broken relationships. But there's another aspect that I want to talk about, and there's so much more to talk about in that area, but particularly one of the things um, which is known as the invisible effects of sex. And one of those things is a bond that is created, a bond. Bonds are formed when we are intimate with someone. Bonds are formed when we are intimate with someone. You see, God's plan is that initial bond, that bond that you're going to have with someone in an intimate way is to be with your marriage partner. And here's the thing about bonds. Just like when you take your vows when you get married, bonds aren't meant to be broken. Bonds aren't meant to be broken. And here's the thing that, that lots of people have studied, and psychologically we've seen this as a pattern, that, that if we live life with patterns of bond, and then they break. We make a bond, and then we break it. And then we make another bond, and we break it. All of a sudden, we start to lose our ability to properly form bonds. Okay? You with me? So this idea, this, this condition that we feel like we're crazy in love, it all of a sudden starts to disappear. Because I've been living my life in such a way that I create a bond, and then I break it. I create a bond, and then I break it. And that's why it's so important for us to protect our purity, our spirit, our soul, and our body. And we must understand that the ability to be pure and save ourselves is not because of what we just read in the Bible, because that's obviously hugely important, but it's also so that we can stay pure for the one that we're going to connect with and make a bond with for the rest of our life. 
And I want to repeat this this evening. If you haven't waited and you've had sex outside of marriage or you're currently in a relationship that is being intimate with someone, I want you to know that there is grace and mercy available to you because of the cross, our sins can be forgiven. Because of Jesus, we can be set free. Amen. The other thing is, um, I, I want to be really honest with you, what I've done in my life. And before I met Sarah and before I, I fully give my life to Christ, I had someone really unhelpful, uh, really unhelpful relationships, really unhealthy relationships, of which I've repented from. And I've asked for forgiveness because I now know that my desire would have been to waited for marriage and to know that this is what God wants for each and every one of us. I felt it was important for you to know that this evening. You see, as we dive into this passage, it, it, every time we look at relationships in Scripture, and Isaac said this last week, that we'll, we'll look at marriage, we'll look at single people, we'll look at those who've been divorced. And, and in the context of this passage, we see different relationships described in the passage. So if we keep reading our, our passage tonight, we see this next bit. It takes a turn and says, Do not deprive each other. So start speaking to a married couple. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. When I read this and when I've looked into this, what I've seen is that sex is not an obligation. Sex is not an obligation. You see, Paul says here in this passage that we're not to deprive one another, those of us who are married. He's saying that we shouldn't deny our spouse sex unless we both agree to it. And as we do that, we'll commit a time to prayer. And, you, you know, I, I recognize that when we talk about these sorts of things at this moment, people might be getting a wee bit uncomfortable. There might be some husbands in the room who are sort of looking out the side of their eye at their wife. They're going, hey, you listen to this bit? And then there's a wife looking at the other side, don't you dare make eye contact with me. But I think it's really important that you understand that every time we look at Scripture like this, it's very important to know that context is key, right? Paul is saying this. He says, do not deprive one another. Uh, uh, Paul, sorry, Paul is saying, uh, not saying, do not deprive one another. But what he's saying is that, let me rephrase that. I've got that wrong, but I'll go for the third time. Paul is saying, do not deprive one another. But what he's not saying is this, that every time your spouse has an itch, you've got to scratch it. Okay? Every time your spouse has an itch, you've got to scratch it. You see, let, let me speak to the husbands in the room. Paul's words are, con uh, are uh, in, uh, in context here are key. The chapter gives us context. The first uh, letter to Corinthians gives us context. So does the rest of the New Testament, and so does the rest of Paul's words to the churches. He put, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says this, you know, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. That means you love them unselfishly. You love them sacrificially. You love them with this reckless abandon of your own self and your own wants and your own desires. It gives context, right? To put it bluntly, yes, sex is part of our marital duties, but it's not about you having sex every time you want it. It's not an obligation in that sense. It's about loving our wives. It's about honoring our brides. Providing security, creating intimacy, creating an environment which 
She feels loved and wanted and cared for and secure. So much so that she wants to have sex with you. It's about loving your wife in such a way that creates intimacy within your relationship. And Paul is not saying you just get sex anytime you want. So, of course, I'm speaking in generalizations here, and, and I'm saying husbands, but wives, the same thing applies to you. The same thing applies to you. Paul goes on and he teaches, that, he teaches us this, that, that sex is not a weapon. Sex is not a weapon. He's saying, wives, that, that sex is not a weapon that you can use to manipulate your husband into doing what you want him to do or to stop him from doing something you don't want him to do. Sex is not something that you weaponize against your spouse. It's not something you give to him whenever he's done the dishes, he's cleaned the kitchen, but then you refuse it to him because he forgot to mow the lawns. Sex is not a weapon to manipulate our spouse. What I believe Paul is saying that in the, in the context of a healthy marriage, we should come together as husband and wife, that our marriages should be so intimate, so safe, so secure, so together that the only reason that we would not have sex is for a season to pursue God together. And that would be together as a husband and wife. And they say, let's set time aside. We're going to pursue Jesus together. Let's set aside our wants and our desires in our pursuit of a holy God. That's the picture of a really healthy marriage, right? And I recognize at times it's not always like that. But this is what Paul is teaching us here. Anytime we hear God's Word, it demands a response from us. So I know that for many of us in this room who are married, there may be couples in this room right now who are listening online that, <coughs> excuse me, you find those things very hard to talk about. And maybe you're thinking, well, we're, uh, we, have, we have a conversation we need to have as soon as we leave this place. And here's my advice and my thoughts that if you're going to have a conversation about these things, make sure it's done in such a way that can be uninterrupted, that both of you as a couple can be really clear of the expectations you have of each other, be really open, be, be honest with one another, but it's important to have the conversation. The second point that I want us to look at this evening, and we take another turn, is that Paul lets us know here that singleness is a blessing and not a curse. Singleness is a blessing and not a curse. It's a hard, hard truth for many of us to grasp, and, and a few weeks back, Isaac spoke on this topic, did a great job of that. You see, not only because our heart's desire is often marriage and to be intimate with someone, but unfortunately, the church has somewhat painted the picture of what marriage should look like, even though we don't find this in Scripture anywhere. The perfect marriage revolves around uh, a husband and a wife, two kids, a house, a white picket fence, and a golden doodle. Sorry for those who are married. We've got two kids, a white picket fence, and a golden doodle. I mean, no offense. It was just an example. But we somewhat give off, this is, this is the Christian dream. This is what you need to achieve. We live our lives thinking that marriage is so, so important that, that the spouse will bring us purpose. I must find someone to bring me purpose. I must find that special someone to give me love and security that I really desire. Before we dive any further into what it means to be single and how it's a blessing, not a curse, let me talk really quickly 
about what it means to be a person who follows Jesus. Let's talk about it being an individual that belongs to Jesus, because all throughout the Bible, the person who follows Jesus, I want you to hear this, the person who follows Jesus has everything they need addressed over and over and over again right throughout Scripture. Let me give you some examples. 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but give Him up for us all, how will we, He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Praise be to the, the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Fear the Lord, you His holy people, for those who fear Him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who receives. Everyone who uh, asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. So listen to me. Single people, there's nothing more that you would need that is not found in the person of Jesus Christ. There's nothing any of us need that can't be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Contrary to what Hollywood says, contrary to the, 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 the Christian dream of marriage and what it might look like, nobody but Jesus is going to be that knight in shining armor who's going to sweep you off your feet and never hurt you again. Do you know that you don't actually need another person? Because the person that we need is Jesus. And the thing is, that applies to those who are single. It applies to those who are married. And I want to speak to you as married couples right now. Stop looking at your spouse to give for you and do for you what only Jesus can do. Stop looking at your spouse to give for you and do for you what only Jesus can do for you. You see, Paul, he addresses singleness and he says in verse 6, he says this, I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God, and one has this gift, another has that. And now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul's pretty clear here, isn't he? You know, he's saying this isn't a command from God, but what I'm saying here, this is a concession or alliance that he wants us to understand that he is making because this is the life that he has chosen. That he had much rather that all of us were single so that we could pursue a life of Jesus. If we jump to verses 32 and 30 to 34, and Isaac spoke on this a couple of weeks ago, but it's important for us to be reminded of it. I would like you to be free from concern as an, an, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair. How can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world. How can he please his wife? And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world. How, can she, um, how she can please her husband. You see, this is what Paul's saying, and I need you to hear this. Paul sees singleness 
uh, doesn't see singleness as a curse, but he sees it as a blessing. He sees it as a gift. It frees us up to live out the calling that Christ has on our lives if we're truly surrendered to Jesus. And I want to tell you a story about an incredible woman. Her name is Maud Kells, and she's from a place called Cookstown, which I'm sure a lot of you won't have heard before, but it's the place where I grew up when I was born in Northern Ireland. And um, I don't know this lady personally, but um, she's a bit of a legend from where I'm from. And she was um, a midwife and a nurse, and, and she committed her life to following Jesus. And she said the way, the, which, and, and the way in which she wanted to do that was to be as a single lady so that she could focus on her ministry. She felt God calling her to the mission field, and she set out to the Congo. She went to the mission field as a single lady, and she came home as a single lady. And it was interesting, when I was preparing this sermon and thinking about someone who's been really influential in my life, I, was, I thought of her. And as I was looking into her life and studying about it, um, this was on, on the Monday and the Tuesday, and unfortunately she passed away this week. Uh, she was 83 years old, served the Lord faithfully uh, as a missionary for many of those years. When she was 75, she was being a bit of a legend and she thought she would try to stop a robbery. Um, and unfortunately she got shot right through the chest. And she had to come home and she was interviewed while she was home. And she was asked some of these harder questions. What was it like for you as a single lady out on the mission field? Was it hard? Her response was, you better believe it. It was. Has there been times where you've had great fr uh, frustration or anxiety? Yep, absolutely. Have there been moments where you would have wanted to come home to that one person? Yeah, there, there, there was moments like that. Did you have any other needs while you were there? She goes, in actual fact, I had no needs whatsoever. I had everything I needed and some in my relationship with Jesus. And what she's done, what Maud has done in her life, has influenced hundreds and thousands of people towards Jesus. Because she lived her life serving as a, as a midwife and a nurse for many decades in the Congo. But also because she chose to go as a single woman to follow Jesus wherever he would take her. And all because she saw singleness as a blessing and not a curse. Again, if you want to hear more on, on singleness and the calling of that, then I encourage you again to listen to Isaac's message from three weeks ago. He does a great job on that. But here's the third part and the final thing from today's passage. It takes a turn to talk to those who are married and they have a spouse who's not a follower of Jesus. And this is the point that I want to make. Marriage is not about you. As Paul continues, we get to see that sometimes um, this can be a little confusing for us when we read this passage. And I know we were having a dialogue just before the service and someone didn't quite understand what this passage meant. When you look at this, this passage, it can be quite confusing because look at verse 10. It says, to the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. Here's the thing that Paul is saying. Divorce is not an option. Divorce is not an option. Now, I understand for some of us in the room, that might make us feel really uncomfortable. Maybe you've already been divorced. Maybe you're currently going through a divorce, or maybe you've experienced divorce in your family life where your parents or a friend or an auntie or an uncle 
And again, I understand that we read passages like this and sometimes they feel really emotionally charged for us because they hit so close to home. But here's the thing that I want to make abundantly clear before we go any further, that if you're in a relationship, if you're in an abusive relationship and you're in danger, then you need to get help, you need to make yourself safe, and you may need to leave that relationship because it's not what God has for you. That is not the picture of a healthy marriage. It is unsafe and dangerous. But as Paul looks to the marriages that he's talking about in this passage, he makes it crystal clear on divorce that it's just not an option. That this is a charge from God that if you're following Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, that divorce is not an option. But we know in Scripture, as we read further around it, there is a couple of exceptions to that rule. If we read in in Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus is teaching, He said the exception to the rule is this, that in case of adultery, and that's only when the adulterer is unrepentant or unremorseful or shows no desire for change. And, and Jesus says, well, allow them to go. But Paul is reminding us, and I think this is the key part of this message, that Paul is in fact reminding us that marriage is a big deal. It's a commitment. It's a promise that we're making. It's not something just to be taken lightly. Because not only do we enter into a covenant with our spouse, but we enter into a covenant with God. Paul's not done. He says, look at, look at verse 12 and through to 16. He says this, and this is where sometimes we can get a bit confused. To the rest I say this, I not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in in such circumstances. Here's the second um, exception to the rule of divorce. Uh, And Pastor Isaac again touched on this a few weeks back. And he said that I was going to speak to this. If you're married and you've come to faith in Jesus Christ after you were married, and your spouse doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, doesn't agree with the way that you live for Him, Paul is saying here in the context of this passage that he's saying, let it be so, let them leave. Let them leave. And in this circumstance, you're not bound by marriage. And then Paul is going to carry on, and he's going to give us what I think is one of the most helpful and most hopeful passage of Scripture to speak to those who are married couples who is someone in the relationship who's not a believer. He says, God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? How do you know what God is going to do through you? How do you know what God is going to do in your marriage? How do you know how God might use you? And what he's saying is, if you find yourself married to someone who isn't a believer, and they love you, and they want to stick at your relationship, God is saying, don't divorce them. Stick with them, because God will use you in that moment. God will work in your marriage. Now, don't get this twisted. He's not saying that because of your faith, you're going to save that person. He's not saying that. But what he's saying is that God will see your homes and set them apart in, their, in his mind, that, that this family will receive blessings and favor from God because of the spouse who believes. 
that being married to a believer has a sanctifying effect on the home and those who live there. By you being married to them, it exposes them to the truth of the gospel, the truth of the scriptures, and otherwise they might never hear it. So I believe this passage of scripture is solely looking at two people who've got married, who weren't Christians before they got married, and then one person becomes a Christian while they are married. So it's really important to know that if you're a single person here this evening and you're looking for love and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the person you're looking for is also a follower of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what uh, fellowship can light have with darkness. I think Paul's really clear here that the situation that he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 7, I believe, is speaking to a couple that has become believers after marriage. And in verse 16, it says, How do you know, wife? How do you know, husband? Whether you'll save your wife, whether you'll save your husband. You see, this is the hope that Jesus is going to work through that spouse so that that family can come to know Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I grasp that this is so much easier for me to stand here and say that you got to stick at it you got to keep pursuing those relationships even though it might be hard i understand that it's really difficult but he gives us hope in this passage he says that god is at work in your marriage and here it is a church we want to come alongside you and support you put believers around you to encourage you and to help you pray when you can't pray and i want to tell you a story i want to share an experience that i had when I was back in Northern Ireland. I remember being part of a, a prayer meeting and there was this lovely lady who had come along to the prayer meeting and uh, she was someone who, who, who got married and both of the, the husband and wife weren't Christians before they got married. And, and when, she, um, when they were married, the, the lady became a Christian, became a follower of Jesus. And uh, she, she used to come along to the prayer meeting every week and her, Christi- her, her children became Christians as well. And I used to go along to this prayer meeting. You'd see her sitting in the rows as we prayed every week. And she was there faithfully. And you just get this picture. She'd be sitting in the rows and she'd have her kids so close to her. And she'd just hug them and, uh, and sit tightly together. And you could just hear her praying out loud. And the tears were running down her face. She says, Lord, save my husband. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And she would continue to pray week after week. And the kids would pray, Lord, please save our daddy. And you know what? The, the amazing thing is that God heard her prayers. And time passed, and one evening her husband decided to come to church with her. And that evening she, uh, she, she was praying, oh, Lord, I pray that he hears the message of the good news of Jesus. And that night he gave his life to Christ. How good, come on. And now he's a leader in the church. See, I want you to know this. Never underestimate the power of a praying spouse. Never underestimate the power of a praying parent. And if you're here this evening and your spouse doesn't know Jesus, there's hope. All is not lost. Keep on praying. God still does the impossible. He's still a miracle working God. And what he did in the life, this couple I've just shared, he can do in your life too. Because God's at work in our marriages. Now listen, to those who have been divorced, here's what I need you to know today. 
God's not done with you. God's not done with you. You haven't committed an unforgivable sin. There's grace for that too. There's mercy to you. You have purpose. And God wants to continue to use you. He's not done with you. And He asks that you'll be willing to pursue your life as a single person so that you can honor Him. I recognize that this evening, again, just like every passage that we've looked at over the last few weeks, it addresses multiple people in different walks of life. And tonight we've done the same. We've looked at single people. We've looked at those who've been divorced. We've looked at married people. We've looked at those people who are in relationships. So what I'd love to do now, just as we, before we gather again to, to worship, I'd I love to pray for you. So why don't you stand with me? Just if you close your eyes and be free from distraction. And if you feel comfortable and want to stretch out your arms and receive what the Spirit has for you this evening, let me just pray for us. Lord, I just thank you so much for the truth of your word. I pray for any, uh, any, any man or any woman who's in this room this evening who's in a sexually active relationship and it's not their husband and it's not their wife. Lord, I, help, I pray that you'll help them to see that this is not what you want for them, that sex is indeed for, for marriage. Lord, I, I, I pray and I, I hope that, that, that they can know that there's a better plan for them, that you've got better for them. And Lord, I ask that you bring them back to you. Father, I pray for the marriages that are in this room this evening. We pray that you would uh, speak peace and clarity. And if there's any need for restoration, Lord, I ask for that. Bring them together. Let their marriage be a place of holy ground that's sacred and set apart. Let it be a place where they see victory. And Father, for those who are single in the room, for those who are seeking love, Lord, I, I pray that you will reveal to them who you have for them. For those who are single in the room who are struggling to find purpose, I pray, Father, that they will know that they're not forgotten about or missed. And God would remind them that as long as they have breath in their lungs, they have purpose for you. And that they can be used by you. As for those who have been divorced, God has a plan for you. I thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So what we're going to do now is we're going to spend time worshiping God through song. And we'll have some people available down the front. If you'd like to be prayed for in any of these situations that we've discussed tonight, then we would love to do that. But let's continue to worship our great God who's, who is our hope and who's our Savior. And remember, all we need in our lives is Him. He completes us. There's nothing else can give us more than Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or after this message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find everything you'll need to know on our website, crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you subscribe to this channel to keep up to date with new content. But thanks again, and we'll catch you soon.